Welcome back to Moments That Matter, special summer edition. Uh, we're taking a break from our hiatus. Is that even possible to take a break from a hiatus? Anyway, <laughs> we've done it. Um, and we're going to talk today to the authors and editors of a new book titled, How Shall We Then Care? A Christian Educator's Guide to Caring for Self, Learners, Colleagues, and Community, published this year by Whiff and Stock Publishers. Uh, in all, there are 15 authors and editors, uh, of which I am one, and uh, we have quite a number of them with us right now. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Um, before we get rolling with the interview, uh, could you each introduce yourself and tell us uh, what you do and where you're physically located right now? Scott, why don't we start with you? Thank you, Paul. Uh, I'm Scott Headley. I live in Newburgh, Oregon, which is about 25 miles from uh, downtown Portland, Oregon. We're in wine country here. It's a beautiful uh, sunny day, actually, with a little bit of humidity today. Uh, I'm a grandfather, father. Uh, I'm a professor of educational leadership at George Fox University and just preparing right on the cusp now of moving through a very busy summer teaching schedule into an 11 month sabbatical. Awesome. Sean? Sure. Thanks, Paul. Uh, my name is Sean Schott and uh, I'm right now I'm sitting in my in my house in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I also work as a uh, assistant professor of education at Redeemer University just outside of Hamilton. And uh, yeah, that's probably good enough for our purposes for now. I'm sure we'll talk. <laughs> Notice he said house. Um, I just want you to note that. Okay, uh, Danielle. Are you mocking me, Paul? No, I'm not. <laughs> you should. Yes. <laughs> you should be. Danielle? Thanks, Paul. Hey, everyone. I'm Danielle Bryant. I normally am on the island of Koi, but right now I'm on the big island visiting some friends. I'm a second grade teacher um, at Kapa'a Elementary. So I love doing that. I'm with the littles in the lower elementary. I'm a mo mother of a wonderfully energetic six-year-old, almost seven-year-old. And oh I'm gosh. married to my high school sweetheart um, of almost, I don't know, so many years, it seems like. <laughs> we don't even count at this point. So, and we're just living the dream here. Um, it's been really wonderful just to be able to be here on the islands and get to experience the culture of Aloha um, and see care in a different way. Awesome. Stephanie? Hi, I'm Stephanie Talley, and I'm in Abilene, Texas, and I am a professor of education at Abilene Christian University, and my emphasis is language and literacy. So anything having to do with reading and writing and speaking, and that's me. Sherry? Um, well, right now, I'm sitting in my car <laughs> in uh, Newburgh, Oregon. Um, not, I actually don't live that far from Scott. I um, have just accepted the vice principalship at Dayton High School, so that's a, a new venture for me. I'm, I'm excited. 
um, about it. You know, my philosophy is if it makes you a little bit nauseous and you're a little bit scared, you should probably do it. Um, so that, that that's where I'm at. And um, I've been married to my husband for 30, ooh, 32 years. We have uh, uh, three boys, two of which have graduated from OIT and are now have big grown-up jobs. And uh, one who is uh, finishing up at PCC and will be at Fox in the fall. So busy, busy. Mm-hmm. Also, apparently, I cannot calculate Eastern time and Pacific time. So there's that. <laughs> but you're here. But I'm here. <laughs> Uh, Michelle? I'm Michelle Hughes, and um, I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Normally, sunny as can be, but we've got the June gloom thing going Uh, on today, so (laughs) a little disappointed the last couple days looking out the window. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm an associate professor and chair of the education department at Westmont College, uh, which is also my alma mater. Um, I have the privilege of getting to train our uh, students to be teachers and um, just completed. Uh, We're just about ready to recommend everyone. We made it through COVID and um, did the transition from face-to-face to to remote learning. And I zoomed in to Zoom and watch my student (laughs) teachers teach on Zoom. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's been a crazy season. And then I also, my husband's a teacher. He's a junior high PE teacher. I have a daughter at Boise State University and a son who's just going to be a sophomore in high school. So we have all been home together and um, have some days we survive, some days we thrive. (laughs) 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 Uh, But good to to be here. Thank you. And Kathy, my co-editor, go ahead. I am Kathy Freytag, and I am in lovely western New York uh, at Houghton College, where I have served for 18 years, uh, predominantly as a member of the teaching faculty in the Department of Education, preparing pre-service teachers. My background is special education and inclusive education, and I have made the foray into college administration, and I am now a full-time associate dean in the academic dean's office, and um, I'm working... uh, very creatively with the senior leadership team at the college just to uh, see what the future may look like for us mm-hmm. here in Western New York and uh, mm-hmm. embracing all kinds of new challenges and uh, recognizing uh, uh, care needs to be central to that. And um, I would also, I've, I've shared with Sean and others in this group that uh, I often describe myself as a recovering Pharisee. And so I am relearning responsive care uh, through through the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to care well for myself and others, particularly in these challenging times we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thanks, y'all. Um, before we dive into the contents of the book, I wanted to give a little bit of background for our listeners who may not understand what it takes to publish a book like this uh, and how long kind of we've been at this process. Um, one thing you need to know is that we really enjoy each other's company. Um, so, <laughs> Though we have a good working relationship, uh, we really like each other and find a lot of encouragement uh, from our group. Uh, We're actually a special interest group of teachers and teacher educators who belong to the International Community of Christian Teacher Educators, or ICCTE, and our group is called Think, Share, Care. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so the brief history of the book goes like this. One of the chapter authors, Scott, who introduced himself, uh, and I were presenting uh, in the same session at an ICCT conference, which takes place every other year. And this was 2014, so this was six years ago, okay? And Scott liked what I had to say about ethic of care. We reconnected for the 2016 conference, this time with Kathy, uh, who is my co-editor and a chapter author on the book, and uh, presented a symposium on care. And that led to a number of things, uh, including a special issue on care uh, from the ICCT journal, which included articles from many of these authors right here, uh, and uh, expanded symposium in 2018 at the next ICCT uh, conference, including the authors, and then a lovely writers conference that we had a year ago, which we all pine away at and think about often, um, where we were able to get together and lay the groundwork for the book. So it's been a long and winding road, and uh, speaking for myself, one that has been thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, so now on to the book. Um, I have some questions uh, that some of the authors have given me about their chapters. Uh, of course, we want to hear from the chapter authors, but I encourage all of the authors to chime in whenever they want to. And first, I want to start with a big picture question uh, that came from Kathy uh, and uh, seems to apply to a number of different chapters in the book. Um, so the question is for everybody, considering the overwhelming impact of COVID-19 and the racial tensions in America right now, how might this book be particularly helpful in this present moment, do you think? Anyone can... That someone must speak. Um, Sean. Yeah, Paul, thank, thanks for, uh, for the question, and Kathy as well. Yeah, I've been pondering that one a lot, as you can imagine, my, my work with the teachers that I work with and the students that I've worked with. And I think for me, I, I, again, I, I go back to my own research because that's the language that's familiar to me. That distinction that my research drew between offering care and successfully communicating care, I think is a very apt one here. Um, it strikes me that when I listen to some of the rhetoric in both the COVID situation and in some of the racial situations, so many of the people who um, have strong feelings are looking through the lens of their own eyes. And mm -hmm. our theory reminds us that care is a very, very much a perceptual thing. And in order to appreciate care well, we actually have to look at it through the eyes of the one who's being cared for. And I think that if we did that more effectively, uh, both situations would be addressed uh, in much more caring and, and I think helpful, uplifting ways. Awesome. Other yeah, I, I think, I was just thinking as a book as, as a whole, it's so timely in the fact that there's so many aspects of this book that are needed in this day and age. Um, you know, I was thinking about Kathy's chapter about self-care. Um, you know, I think there's so many aspects that people have been going through that they forget about taking care of themselves right now, you know, and, and not taking care of themselves can lead to exhaustion that leads to not being able to respond to people. Um, Sean, what you talk about, not being able to understand that when we are not able to 
when people aren't under care is that if you're not giving care and that understanding that care is not get, getting that back, you know, that it's not, if it's not received, it's not really, is it really given, you know, that aspect um, and the empathy aspect of it too. What does that mean to step into, you know, there's so many aspects of our book that are just needed in this time. So I would just say more now than ever, the book as a whole just really is needed um, than even before we even had all this happen. Um, and it not just as an education standpoint, I would just say as a human standpoint, um, we wrote it, you know, as kind of this, like we wanted to help educators, um, but I see it more as just helping people um, to be able to just give skills to be able to help people in this. How do I interact with other people? How do I connect with people? How do I show my neighbor um, love in really difficult situations? Um, how do I show someone that I want to be able to connect with them, but maybe we aren't on the same page. How do we get past this? Um, and we're both in really intense situations. Um, and there's so many different <laughs> chapters that you can look at and read through that are gonna be able to help you understand and give you those resources. Um, and so I think we didn't even realize when we were writing that we had, you know, God was giving us these before that we were going to have all this going to be coming up. Um, so I was thinking about that as we were getting ready for this today, like, wow, what a blessing this book is now in this time. I think it's important. I, I, oh, sorry. I do really like no, okay. that it is going to educators because I think in both of these instances, whether we're talking about the pandemic or the racial tensions, we know that it's the teachers in schools mm -hmm going to get to deal with a brunt of this and I and I also think we all know that nationally they were already feeling fragile frazzled and underappreciated and overwhelmed and overworked and so those two things combined knowing that when we have big things happen teachers are the ones in schools who deal with it because we see everyone and knowing that they were already feeling underappreciated makes it even more timely and the audience in particular needed to hear this message, I think, these messages. I also think, oh, you go first. It's okay. I just can't see everybody on my phone. You can edit this out, Paul. You just edit this part out. I'll you be brief. I, uh, <laughs> as I, I echo all that's been said, and I think um, as someone who writes and researches about dispositions, I've thought so much about humility lately. Um, as I think, as I wrap up this academic year and think about the next academic year, I am asking myself, how am I going to model and demonstrate mm -hmm. humility for my students, for my student teachers, so that then they can do the same thing. Um, and I went in my writing, I often have written about dispositions as heart skills and as the softer skills. The other day I had a, a moment where I thought, these are not the softer skills. These are the essential skills. 
care, as you said, Danielle, self-care. Um, it's r rising to the top. It's always been there for educators, but we have, we have spent a lot of time on test scores and pedagogy and lesson planning and, um, you know, so grabbing the next best curriculum, even figuring out how to teach well on remote learning. And, and again, I come back to the question, if I need to teach remotely in the fall, which we're still waiting to hear, um, what will that look like and how do I cultivate community and care over Zoom? You know, these are the questions I'm asking. And again, I agree that our book is timely. And um, I do think that these are, you know, care is our superpower right now that we've really got to tap into. That's awesome. Go ahead, Sherry. Um, I also think that during this time <clears throat> that we are absolutely hearing the voices of the people who have not um, been given care or have not seen care. Um, and they are loud as they should be. They should be shouting it from the mountaintops. Um, I think if we look at it in regards to teaching, these are the things that we are going to be teaching. These are the, the topics we're going to be black lives matter movement, um, pr police brutality, um, the, the trauma from that, as well as the trauma that's going to come from, you know, the pandemic, um, we as educators need to know how to self-care, but we are going to have to be very open and, and on our game, on our game on how to care for these people when they come back in. Um, in my own classroom this year, we tackled early on, like back in September, we started looking at representation and, and why that's important just in, in women's rights and all of this, we were just digging into that. And we hit the pandemic and we had just finished reading To Kill a Mockingbird and then watched The Hate You Give. And then right at about this time, um, the Black Lives Matter and the police brutality came and the care that you have to give students, the care of the subject matter and the care over Zoom. I think um, reading this will be helpful, but I think as as educators, it should be in the forefront and, and teaching new educators the forefront of our minds of how to care for our students who are going to come from um, a lot of different backgrounds. I have students who are in the, the forefront of the, the Black Lives Matter of people of color. I have students who have the uh, uh, Confederate flag on the back of their truck. So how do you care for the myriad of people that we are going to come into to contact with, because I believe, well, we as humans, but we as educators carry that mantle. That's our job. I mean, that's our calling. That's our vocation to care. So I think we're going to have to look at different ways to give and receive care. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm drawing up, from these two crises situations in our culture and how this book and the concept of the ethic of care and in particular the Christian ethic of care is connected is when I've been reflecting uh, over the last four or five months about the voices who have said, I have a right to be out and doing commerce in my city. 
I have a mm -hmm. right not to wear a mask. I have mm -hmm. a right because I'm an American citizen to be able to denigrate other people with my voice on Facebook or in the public square if I so choose. And unbeknownst to these voices, they're parroting, I think, uh, uh, or at least uh, approaching what I would call some of the traditional ethic of justice, which is right and wrong. You know, what do I have a right to mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in my culture as an American citizen? I think we're, we've seen that also more recently when in my community, when people have stood up to protest uh, police brutality uh, towards black Americans. And many of you know, I have two black daughters who have been very vocal about this, that they have been criticized and attacked mm -hmm. because of the fact that they uh, are now associated with people that, well, how dare you go into downtown Portland and break the windows in the Nike store, which is like you're violating the rights of those shopkeepers. So it's about rights. Now, my understanding of the ethic of care is both the kind of the bilateral nature as Sean described really well, but it's also the fact that when we're talking about the ethic of care, we're talking about what people need, not what their mm -hmm. right is. And it's about mm -hmm. need to me. And I think it goes back mm -hmm. to the heart. I, I often think of uh, Jesus's story of the, of the, uh, the good Samaritan or what we call a good Samaritan and where the, 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 the anti-heroes of that story are law-abiding people who are doing what is right in mm -hmm. the eyes of the law. They were not doing anything inappropriate. They were, they were upholding the ethic of justice. But the hero of the story was the person who demonstrated the ethic of care, who went to the need of the individual, who... How can mm -hmm. we look at what's going on in our nations and our world today and say, I'm sorry you have a need, but I'm not going to do my best to try to attend to it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a compulsion that I have from the command of Jesus. Now, as, as far as my courage or my ability to, to carry that out is another thing that I think it's pretty clear is what the directive is. Mm -hmm. I'll stop there. <laughs> other thoughts? Oh, just everything every, that everyone is contributing is just so powerful. You know, this is this is a weighty moment in our society right now. Um, mm -hmm. Just a couple other thoughts that occur to me about this particular moment, um, where the book seems timely. Um, I know that uh, Brenda and Anne aren't able to be on the call with us today, but their chapter on trauma, systemic mm -hmm. trauma, um, is very powerful and and timely in this moment. And how can we as individuals um, be doing our part to help undo systemic the, the effects of systemic trauma and and that's particularly relevant in this moment um, I also think um, uh, the chapters that Sean has contributed and his own research on the interpersonal aspects of care and particularly as teachers in the classroom you know if we see or hear an injustice being perpetrated on our watch in the hallway coming and going and passing, our action or inaction, what we say or don't say matters and it speaks volumes. And so are we being caring in the way that we're responding and intervening when we see 
and, and witness injustices happening, you know, on our watch. And, and a significant portion of, of Sean's research in his chapter speaks to that as well. And I mean, I would just echo what others have said, just that the critical importance of responsive self-care that's balanced with care for others. I mean, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And, um, and Michelle's comments on, you know, in, ter in terms of teacher education and dispositions, you know, I know that so many teacher education programs historically have focused on a, a laundry list or a checklist of tasks or behaviors that one ought to you know, attain and okay, you've, you've met your dispositions, but it's a way of being. And if care is central to our way of being, then these other smaller things uh, will fall into place. And so th those are some of the thoughts that occurred to me and in this moment. Sean, is that a raised hand? It is, yeah. I think, <laughs> uh, Kathy, your, your comments opened the door for this, both in the chat and then, and here too. Uh, some of the participants that I interviewed for, for research, um, when I was talking to them about how teachers either uh, successfully communicate care or perhaps unsuccessful despite having obviously a good heart and good intentions but are not being successful, um, some of the participants were marginalized individuals, people from a variety of different demographics. And it was amazing how I, I could have done a study just on their voices and exactly this, this issue. And it's such a timely piece right now because what they were talking about was really two different kinds of teachers that I think are, are worth, this is why I'm raising my hand again, even though I've spoken already. You know, on the one hand, teachers who were successful in communicating care for them in this context were the teachers who spoke up when students said something. Uh, when students made even just nonverbal jokes or looks or sighs of disdain for another person, the teacher would say, you know, in this classroom, we don't do that because every human being is valuable. And so the, the, the participants were really consistently and emotionally like in tears in a couple of situations saying in that teacher's class, I felt safe and cared for when I didn't in any of the other classes. The flip side, and this is where Scott, your comment is such an appropriate one, it, those other teachers that these participants would describe as unsuccessful in communicating the care that they might intend um, were still good people with good hearts trying to do good things. Like these were not, you know, ax murderers or anything like that. These were teachers who, when a racist joke was offered, would laugh or even mm -hmm. smile or simply say nothing. And of course, we know the bullying bystander victim research. What it says in that situation is when you laugh or when you say nothing, you're supporting the bully and you are participating in the bullying itself rather than being part of the solution. So the concepts that emerged in my own study were the distinction between tacit and uh, explicit participation in what was going on. And there's no teachers that are maybe explicitly participating in the racism, although maybe, maybe they are but there's a lot of the implicit piece. And again, it really boils down to that piece of coming alongside, and Danielle, your research speaks to this, empathizing with the other. And what I really appreciate is Nell Noddings in one of her books, and for those listeners who don't know who Nell Noddings is, she's kind of the guru of the ethic of care, uh, the originator. Um, at one point in one of her books, she actually turns the golden rule on its head. And it says that instead of, uh, we, we don't treat others as we want to be treated, we need to know them well enough to treat them how they want to be treated. And the difference between those two, I think, is a very essential one right now. Hmm. Agreed. Um, yeah, and just a note, um, there's a video that's just come out 
uh, I saw it on Facebook, I suppose it's everywhere, by uh, Phil Vischer um, mm -hmm. talking about racism in America. And yeah. if you or the listeners have not seen that, you ought to. Um, but after presenting facts and data and evidence of systemic racism over hundreds of years in this country, he says, I'm just here to ask you to do one thing, care. Mm. And I, I was completely blown away, <laughs> you know, as, as we're getting ready for this conversation. Um, speaking of the timeliness. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next episode for part two of this podcast as we continue the discussion with the authors of How Shall We Then Care. See you next time.